love dogs. Not only are Cassie and I mothers to several human babies, but between us we have a whole zoo. One thing that we both use to keep our spoiled sweet puppies happy is BarkBox. BarkBox sends you treats and toys tailored especially for your individual pup each month. Britta has massive golden retrievers and I have tiny, tiny miniature dachshunds. And it's so cool because we've gotten the same stuff in the past, but the sizes will be different based on our dogs and their needs. My dogs love it so much that as soon as they see me carrying the box in, they start whining until I open it. And I actually am a brat and make my family wait for me if it comes while I'm at work. And the dogs will be up their butts the whole day over it until I get home <laughs> to open their box. Mine do the same thing. And I swear opening that box every month is like one of the highlights of my month. I absolutely love it. I love seeing them beg at my feet for the treats and the toys and everything. It's just wonderful. They also have phenomenal customer service and cater to your dog's specific dietary needs and more. By visiting BarkBox.com slash self-satisfied, you'll receive a free month on a six or 12 month plan. Once again, that's BarkBox.com slash self-satisfied. guys, welcome to the Self-Satisfied Podcast. I'm Britta. And I'm Cassie. How was your week, Cassie? My week was pretty good. I feel like I got a lot of stuff done, had some adventures, and ended it by hanging out with my best friend. So that was pretty cool. What was your bright spot this week? So my biggest bright spot is my very first baby turned 14 years old. And it's her golden year. So she's going to have a great one, I hope. But it's just been wonderful watching her these past 14 years grow into just a phenomenal human being. She's fiercely independent and has a mind of her own and I absolutely love seeing it develop and her become her own person. It's a little bittersweet because she is going to be out in this big wide world pretty soon in about four years having her own adventures but I'm just incredibly proud of her. Couldn't be happier. Plus I also got a new grandbaby on that note. It's a bearded dragon his name is Pancake, and he's adorable. The night we got him, she literally stayed by his tank and was watching him for like an hour. You know how when you have a baby and you're like just watching it sleep to make sure they're still breathing? She did that with the spirited dragon. So <laughs> like, you're such a good mommy. <laughs> for a girl that never wants kids, she's really got those instincts. She just wants a zoo. That's fine with me. I'll I'll be a, a pet grandma. It's fine. I'm sure one of those other kids will come through with grandbabies. Right, right. right. <laughs> How's your week? Um, I'm growing concerned by the fact that I don't ever know the answer to this question. It was probably good, I guess. It wasn't terrible. Nothing bad happened, I don't think. The weekend was really good. Cassie got to come up and visit with the kids, and that was amazing. Other than that, just the typical week. I feel like you need to start keeping a diary throughout the week just so you will have something to say whenever I say, how was your week? Just like, oh, hold on. Let me let me check my notes. <laughs> Maybe just jot down in my planner like a smiley face with whatever good happened or an angry face. <laughs> I like that. What was your bright spot? I would say that my bright spot was getting to see Foster again for two weekends in a row. We got to spend the weekend with Foz. Aww. Foster and Cora together. They were, whew. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot, but 
they had a lot of fun together. So I think that's kind of a joint bright spot, right? Like we got to spend the weekend together. Usually for my kids' birthdays, the last several years I've had them do experiences instead of big presents. And they typically pick something like stupid expensive, like I'm going to take five friends to the water park or something. But Sydney, the only thing she wanted to do was go up and visit Chicago and visit Brittany and Finley, which Finley's basically just the same person as her. So they get along super well. They're best friends. And that was wonderful. We all got to go to the zoo and it was beautiful. Weather was amazing. So much good food. So much. We had a trip to the candy factory, which was, we stocked up on so much candy. I'm pretty sure I ate all of mine already. (laughs) (laughs) I chose not to get chocolate covered gummy bears while I was there. And I regret the decision. I regret it. I Yeah, I got an entire pound, and I have some left. I have maybe, like, a quarter of a pound left. To be fair, my kids ate some, but I ate the bulk of it. It, They were were delicious. (laughs) That's been my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Healthy dieting. There's another joint bright spot that we have. This might be the second recording we've had since we've launched the podcast but I think the first one was like on the day we launched we're kind of a week behind when it comes to recording but the reception to launching our podcast has just been phenomenal I've had so many people reach out to Britta and I just to say how impactful it's been and how much they appreciate our vulnerability in this endeavor so that's been really wonderful to kind of hear and somebody also told me I had a soothing voice Nobody has commented on my soothing voice, (laughs) which is not often a compliment I receive, so understandable. (laughs) But I really am overwhelmingly shocked and pleasantly surprised at the fact that we seem to have at least 50 people who are consistently downloading and listening to our episodes. And I I really can't express how happy it makes me to have the support and to feel like people are listening to us. We're international. We're overseas. We're overseas and in Canada. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) People like us. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling very validated right now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, guys, for making me feel worthy. (laughs) I also had a really cool moment where my mom reached out to me. I've talked to her about this podcast and everything, and she's been really supportive. But she reached out to me just to say, honestly, I don't think I can listen. I love you. I am proud of you. I hope this is extremely successful. I just can't listen to how you feel. Your father and I messed you up. We did our very best, even if each of us had different levels of what our best was. And then she also went on to say that she felt like there were more topics that I would feel more comfortable with if she wasn't listening. So that really honestly touched me because I think my mom is just a wonderful mother. And I've always said that when I'm talking about my childhood and talking about growing up, obviously we all have missteps when it comes to parenting. I know as a parent, I have things that I regret constantly (laughs) where I'm like, hmm, shouldn't have done that. So I know there were things that she had done that probably weren't the best decisions at the time, but she is able to recognize them. But she did a very good job of trying 
her hardest to make sure that we had the best childhood we could given the circumstances. And I think she was dealt a pretty shitty hand as far as things go, but she was a good mom. And I honestly think even my dad, who made a lot of poor decisions, he was a good person and he was a loving person, but he just made poor selfish decisions. So I think it's really great that she recognizes that, but also is still supportive of me in this endeavor and isn't like, ah, my daughter's talking shit. (laughs) You know, I'm just really happy to have her. I did tell her if we ever do become famous, I'm taking her on tour with us. So just an FYI. (laughs) Cassie actually sent me that message while I was shopping in Target and got a little bit I got a little bit teary-eyed over it. Obviously, Cassie and I have been best friends for 20 years, and I've known her mom the whole time. And I feel like maybe we haven't always seen eye-to-eye on things, like that time that she, you know, (laughs) gave her notebook of secrets to my parents. But... But... And grounded me for a year for it. (laughs) Even then, I look back on that and I'm like, Peggy was just looking out for us. You know what I mean? Like we were doing shit we shouldn't be doing and Mm -hmm. she was looking out for Mm -hmm. us. And while she grounded Cassie from essentially everybody (laughs) all together, I was still allowed to hang out with Cassie. She knew that we were important to one another, so I wasn't grounded from her. But I thought that that was a really good way for a parent to like you said, except that, yes, I made mistakes. My daughter suffered from those mistakes, but not to beat mm-hmm. herself up in the sense like, oh my God, I'm such a fuck up. I can't do anything right. Or to become defensive mm-hmm. and be like, don't tell everybody about your shitty childhood because it makes me look bad. And I, I think that really right, goes right. for for both of our parents when we talk about shit on here, about things that might have messed us up a little bit. My parents, too, they weren't perfect, but I have no doubt that both of my parents loved me very much and that they never did anything out of malice or mm-hmm. anything like that. I was very fortunate that they cared about me and they just were doing the best with the tools they had. So Yeah, absolutely. I didn't always think that was funny, though, how I was literally grounded from everybody except for the person who I actually had the notebook with. Right. Who, <laughs> like you and I had a notebook together and they're like, mm, I'm going to ground you from everyone else. But Brit, right. Brit is cool. <laughs> so there's a line in one of the songs that we put on our playlist this week called Older by Sasha Alex Sloan. If you haven't listened to it, it's a wonderful song. I definitely recommend it to everyone. It says, my parents aren't heroes. They're just like me. And that hits me every time because as you get older, you start realizing when we're younger, I saw my mom as infallible. They're supposed to have it all figured out. Right, right. You're adults. You know what you're doing. Why are you doing it like this when you know the cause and effect of this stuff? But they didn't. I'm 35 and I'm like. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm I'm still figuring it out. And I feel like in one sense, I do try to make myself a little more vulnerable because my mom's really good about putting on a brave face. And I think that's a wonderful skill that she has. But I do not have that (laughs) whatsoever. I wear my emotions right on my face constantly. I'm not one who can put on a brave face for the most part. But I definitely think the older I get, the more respect I have for her, especially with the circumstances. We want to take a second to shout out one of our friends that has helped support our show, Lakin Richardson. She's a mom, a wife, and an entrepreneur, and still always takes time to gas up other women pursuing their dreams. And we want to let her know how much we appreciate her support and honestly just her whole beautiful brain and being. If you're local to the Terre Haute area, check out foamhomies.com for an awesome foam-covered dance-filled event experience. 
I attended a promotional event with my friends and our kids, and it was an absolute blast. She's also launching Snapped, a selfie experience in November, which I'm insanely excited to check out. If you have a chance to support her or any small business in the area, please do. We've recently set up a Patreon account with three different tiers, named after our favorite crystals. Our first tier is Rose Quartz, and it is $5 a month. By signing up for this tier, you will receive a shout-out upon signing up, thanking you for contributing, either during the show or listed on our website. Outtakes and video content, access to music playlists curated personally by us based on our weekly episodes. Our next tier is Labradorite, which is $10 a month. By signing up for this tier, you will receive all of the benefits of the previous tier, plus a personal private message from Britta and I for your birthday, a message of your choice during a segment in the show when you sign up. This can be wishing your significant other a happy anniversary, letting your mom know how inspiring she is, or telling your friends you miss them. The options are almost limitless. The final tier is Moldavite, which is $20 a month. With this tier, you will receive all of the benefits of the previous tiers, plus a monthly virtual hangout with Britt and I, which will include a Q&A segment where patrons can ask us anything that they've been dying to know. Please click the link in the show notes to support our show or visit patreon.com forward slash self-satisfied podcast, all one word. And whether you are able to donate or not, we cannot express how thankful we are for all of your support with the launch of our show. It has been truly surreal and we are beyond grateful for each and every one of you. So this week we are talking about how to catch feelings for Mm -hmm. yourself. So one thing that I do to catch feelings for myself um, that I've utilized is the self-esteem workbook. It's by Glenn Schiraldi. Essentially, you take 30 minutes a day for 150 days and just work on it little by little. There's exercises that you do each day. I'm about halfway through it. So at the start of it, I took a self-esteem checkup. There were 129 points possible. I scored 29. (laughs) So not great. And I took it in preparation for this episode. I could tell I was doing better, but I just kind of wanted to gauge where I was at. So I retook it and I scored 80. So still have a lot of work to do, but that's a big improvement. I'm definitely pleased with the progress. In the book, it talks about poor self-esteem and poor self-esteem can lead to depression, anxiety, stress. Anger, jealousy, or hostility, poor communication, attachment styles, codependency, unhealthy habits, coping mechanisms, and just a whole host of issues. One of the first sections of the book that I had to complete was the personal advantages and disadvantages of a self-dislike. So when you think of negative self-esteem or self-dislike, you don't really think, oh, what's the good part of this? Because I mean, honestly, there's not any actual positives, but if there wasn't something that you're getting from it, then you probably wouldn't continue to do it. After reading that, I did write down some pros and they're really sad pros, (laughs) but mine were keeps me from needing to be vulnerable or opening myself up for hurt which yeah (laughs) definitely definitely something I struggle with lessens the pain of disappointment so whenever I tell myself that I am not a worthwhile person or I don't deserve these things and then those things don't come to fruition then 
I can say, well, I called it and I'm less disappointed in that. Able to have lower expectations for myself and my behaviors and can also be used as an excuse. Like I said, these aren't necessarily super pros. Like <laughs> They're not positives, but they're what you're getting out of it. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly. After that, you write down your cons. My cons are relying on everyone for validation is painful if I don't receive it. So if I am waiting for somebody to tell me that I'm a good person and they're not, then I'm just sitting here telling myself all these negative things and it really hurts you. It's a major contributor to my anxiety and depression, which has at times made me physically ill. Lowers my standards for how others treat me and what I'll accept is probably the biggest one on that list, honestly. I worry constantly about what others think or if they care as much as me. And then the very last thing I wrote was, I am miserable, which... (laughs) just speaks for itself. <laughs> Pretty big con. <laughs> so the beginning of the chapters discusses Howard's laws of human worth. And these, I read them myself and then I read them to my kids. But anyways, I'll read them to you guys. So Howard's laws of human worth. Unconditional human worth is beautifully described by five axioms, which I call Howard's laws based on the work of Claudia A. Howard. One, all have infinite, eternal, and unconditional worth as people. Two, all have equal worth as people. Worth is not comparative or competitive. Although you might be better at sports, academics, or business, I might be better with social skills. We both have equal worth as humans. I would like to make a note on this one. Sydney, my oldest, commented when I read her that, Okay, mom, but what if their skill is being better at murder? <laughs> she wants to be a homicide detective, okay? She's not She's not a future serial killer. No one worry, but she's a true crime junkie. It's a skill. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I'm sure they're good at something else. You know how you're good at murder? You're charismatic and you can get people to come back to your house with you so you can murder them. So Number three, externals neither add to nor diminish worth. Externals include things like money, looks, performance, and achievements. These only increase one's market or social worth. Worth as a person, however, is infinite and unchanging. Number four, worth is stable and never in jeopardy even if someone rejects you. That last part really hit me because rejection is just, as soon as I'm rejected by somebody, I'm like, well, that's because I'm a piece of shit, clearly. And number five, worth doesn't have to be earned or proved. It already exists. Just recognize, accept, and appreciate it. I really, really like those. I refer back to them often, even though I'm far past that section. One thing that is also in here, in that same section, your automatic thoughts and distortions are thoughts that occur or tell ourselves whenever something bad happens. One thing that I do often is overgeneralizing. Things like, I always fail, or no one likes me, which always and no one are big thoughts. It's impossible for you to always fail, honestly. In that situation, you're letting your negative thoughts describe your life completely, and that's not the truth. So when you replace the always with sometimes, I sometimes fail, but I learn from those mistakes. Like we were talking about your payroll last episode. We were talking about how you had failed to send in your payroll. That doesn't mean you always fail. That means that it's something that happened and it's okay. Mistakes do happen and we learn from those mistakes. And then instead of saying no one likes me, some people may not like me, but that's all right. I have plenty of people who love me and I love me. Another thing I do is catastrophize believing that something is a catastrophe or the end of the world. My life will be over if he leaves or my life will be over if this bad thing happens. 
it's not going to be over. Like there's, I've made it through difficult times before and I can make it through more. Just nixing that belief is really great. And then I also do a lot of personalizing, believing things that you have no control over or your fault or involving yourself more in a negative event or situation than you actually are. For instance, when my husband would be in a bad mood when I come home. My ex-husband worked a very difficult job and it was mentally draining. And a lot of times I would come home and he'd be in a bad mood and he'd be quiet and distant and I would automatically assume that was my fault. Okay, what did I do to upset him? What is it that I can do to fix this? And really there's nothing because it wasn't me. He was decompressing from his difficult day and I didn't stop to think about that. I just automatically assumed it was my fault. The TikTok creator I had told you about, I, I think it's Orion's Charge, I'll have to look out to that, mm-hmm. mentions that a lot about how that's something that she works on. She gave almost the exact same example of not taking that kind of stuff personal. So that might be something worth checking out if that is an issue that any of our listeners have. We'll put her TikTok handle in the show notes too, because she has some really wonderful resources there. I mean, it's hard because you automatically, you want to assume everything's your fault. That's kind of a selfish way of looking at it honestly because the world doesn't revolve around you. (laughs) One exercise that I learned from the book is the daily thought record. You take um, one negative event uh, that happened each day. You record your initial response. What emotions did you feel or how impacted were you? And how intense were those emotions on a scale of one to ten? What were your initial thoughts and how true Were your initial thoughts on a scale of 1 to 10? Like, if you're personalizing it and saying, this is all my fault, how true is that? And then what distortions were there? What would a reasonable response to that situation be? And how much do you actually believe that reasonable response? So if I were to say in that situation, my reasonable response would be, this isn't your fault. He has had a bad day. So how true do you actually feel like that is? And in my case, there's times when I had a hard time convincing myself of that. But yeah, it's pretty true that that's what happened. And then after you go through this and go through the reasonable responses, you go back and you re-rate the intensity of the emotion you're feeling after you write that down and how believable your automatic response is afterwards as well. So it's kind of cool because I would do that and I'd have a negative experience and I'd write all that down. And my initial response or the intensity of the emotion would be at like an eight. And then I'd go back and I'd think about it and put the actual reasonable responses and that would drop down to like a five or a six. So I'm like, "Hmm, okay. And then there's another exercise that correlates with that. And I've actually done it with my therapist several times. She refers to it as the core belief ladder. In the book, it's referred to as the question and answer technique. It's really impactful. It's where you take your self-defeating belief or behavior or whatever your automatic thought or distortion was, and you ask yourself questions until you feel like you can't answer anymore. And once you get to where you can't answer the question anymore, like, why or why do you feel this way? Why does that matter? Then you're at the core of that belief. I did three. I'm not going to share them all, but I'm going to share one of them. Mine was people pleasing. People pleasing. Why do I do this? I want others to be happy. Okay, why? I don't want them to be upset with me. Why? I'm afraid that if I don't make them happy, they'll leave. If they leave, I'll be alone. If I'm alone, I won't have anything to look forward to. Why? I don't know how to be happy without someone there. And my core is I don't love myself enough to fill that void. I read that to my therapist and she was just like, that's some heavy shit. <laughs> it's like, 
Okay, thanks. So it's essentially kind of talking to yourself like a four-year-old might with a constant why? Exactly, exactly. Why? That's why? that's a great way to put it. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly that. And when you're talking to a four-year-old, like, why is the sky blue? Why is this? You finally get to the point, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, you get to the core of why that is a thing. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty cool exercise and I definitely recommend it but if you feel like you don't want to know like those super deep dark parts of you you probably shouldn't do it because it opens up a lot of really really dark doors and then another thing they do is figuring out what your good traits are and you rate those my good traits are thoughtfulness loving compassionate and kind determination loyalty and courageousness and they have a whole list of questions about why you think you possess these traits which ones you feel best about which ones you give yourself the most credit for and that really helps that helped me at least because I know I'm a very thoughtful person and I know I'm a very compassionate and kind person like I don't give myself enough credit for those I know they're true but I dwell on the negative more than I do on those. Then it talks about unconditional love. Unconditional love can be felt from several different sources. So yourself, your parents, your significant others, your friends, etc. And it's wonderful to feel that unconditional love from everyone else. But the only person you are 100% capable of depending on is yourself. So how do you develop that unconditional love for yourself? I just finished that section. Right now I am actually at find love and heal the child within. Kind of goes along with my whole thing lately with inner child healing. It's pretty cool. It's a great workbook and it's made a huge difference in my self-esteem and learning to catch feelings for myself. So I definitely recommend it. All right. Sorry I wasn't very interactive for Cassie's self-esteem workbook. We had a little bit of a lag issue with the recording. So a couple weeks ago when we decided to do this episode, I had kind of just jotted down a few very basic ideas of ways to cultivate a positive mindset and learn to love yourself. So we're going to kind of go through those and discuss what they mean and what they entail. The first one was to gas yourself the fuck up. To me, this just means being your own biggest hype man. There are a lot of studies that have shown that speaking positively to yourself has profound effects on a person, such as a longer lifespan, better mental health, and even better heart health. While it's very possible that those are just qualities of people more likely to speak nicely to themselves, I don't really think that you can question that it would play into your mindset and your self-esteem. Oslam Adek and Ethan Cross published an article on how talking about yourself in the second or third person is especially effective. So instead of saying, wow, I look hot today, or man, I'm really killing it at work this week, like looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, man, you look hot today, or damn, Britta's killing it at work this week. And I think that this could be helpful for two reasons. First off, I think it's easier to hype other people up than it is yourself sometimes, especially if you're not already in that habit. So talking to yourself as you would a friend might come more naturally to you. I gas my friends up all the time. When they're doing big things and they're making big strides in life or even little strides, you know, I, I, damn, you look really good today or I can't believe that you're doing all of this stuff and you're just doing excellent at it. Like that's something that comes naturally to me. But telling myself those things is not. I just think that framing it that way it feels less conceited. Second, I think that I statements could be perceived as more of a, a, a self-opinion, whereas a you, he, she, or Brita statement might feel like an outside source. So it would almost be like 
giving yourself external validation, which is going to make it easier to stand up to or brush off people that challenge those beliefs. So if some internet rando comments on your TikTok that you're stupid or ugly or whatever, you're less <laughs> likely to think, damn, am I? Am I stupid? Am I ugly? And you're more likely to actually believe that you know you're not. Like you have that self-given external validation. This is not just my own conceited opinion. This is what is fact in the world. This is how I am perceived, how I am known. And you're going to continue your life unconcerned with their obviously bad opinion. My therapist actually had me do an exercise where when I walk by a mirror, I say something positive about myself. And she recommended to do it in that second or third person like you were talking about. And one thing she said was, you have all these people who say nice things about you. Remember those and tell yourself those. So the thing is, I work in a place that has mirrors every five feet <laughs> so so doing that exercise I had to do that constantly and it kind of became a habit so every time I'm walking down an aisle I'm like Cassie you look like a badass or Cassie you're doing so many great things and it just automatically comes now and body confidence issues and struggles with all of that have been something I've had for years, basically my entire life, and starting to tell myself, damn, you look good, or just gassing myself up has really, really made a difference in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's about changing the way you view yourself. So instead of constantly beating yourself up about things, you're giving yourself those positive affirmations, and I think that's super helpful. The second point was counter to gassing yourself the fuck up, you've got to ditch your negative self-talk. So just like being nice to yourself has warm, fuzzy effects, those casual you dumb bitch quips are going to have negative effects. So you have to stop beating yourself up for everything. Otherwise, you're just going to wire your brain to believe that you're a fuck up instead of a bad bitch or a hot girl or whatever it is that you refuse to let yourself believe. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you can't hold yourself accountable. Obviously... You're going to make mistakes. You don't have to be like, I didn't do anything wrong there. Own up to it. Just do it gently like you would with a child or a friend or a loved one. So if you think about it this way, say you're like in a new romance and your partner disrespects you in some way. They call you stupid or something that you're interested in is stupid, etc. And if you've spent the last six months telling yourself that you're stupid or you're a fuck up or you're a dumbass, then you're going to take that to heart. They're going to call you stupid and you're going to think, yeah, well, maybe I am stupid. That that could be true. But if you've spent the six months previous to that disrespect being gentle and understanding with yourself and telling yourself, hey, you're not the only person in the world to make that mistake. Here's how we can make it better and here's how we can learn from it. Then you're much more likely to not tolerate that disrespect. There was a point this weekend where I said, I don't remember what it was I said to myself, but I made some mistake and I was like, ah, I'm such an idiot. And Britta goes, hey, we don't talk like that here. <laughs> Just doing that to yourself. Anytime you say something negative and being like, hey, hey, knock that off like you would if a kid was talking badly about themselves. Because I know like if my kids are like, ah, I'm stupid. I'm like, no, you're not. We don't talk like that. And you are a wonderful, beautiful person. Do that to you. 
And it'll make a huge difference. Right, exactly. Um, Like even earlier when you were talking about how you feel when you're rejected and how you often take that as, I'm a piece of shit. I have that exact same mindset. So when somebody rejects me, when I'm not getting the Mm -hmm. affection or the love that I want from a person, I immediately think it's because I'm not worthy of that and that's just how it is but when you say it it hurts my heart <laughs> like I'm like no what do you mean you're a piece of shit <laughs> that's not the way to think about it at mm-hmm. all yeah so the idea here is to treat yourself like a friend like you do the people you love because you are mm-hmm. loving yourself and you deserve that just as much as any other person mm-hmm. that you love or more even and the concept of loving myself as much as I love Cassie or any of my friends is bewildering to me but I'm gonna get there damn it (laughs) yeah yeah for sure me too (laughs) one day the next two points kind of go together the first one is to apologize to yourself and mean it I feel like with ADHD especially and I'm sure anybody who has the bad habit of talking to themselves negatively has the same issue where it's a habit and you don't really have time to stop yourself before it happens. It's happening in your head. So when I make a mistake at work and I'm like, oh my God, you dumbass, (laughs) then I don't have time to think between my mistake and calling myself a dumbass, hey, it's okay. Letting mistakes happen. Kit Rampant on TikTok had given a really good example about how she apologizes to herself when she is less than kind. To herself. I think the example that she gave was she had not done her morning exercises and later in the evening like she had belittled herself and berated herself and and you know called herself lazy and stupid and worthless over not doing these exercises and later she came back to that and she put her hand on her heart and she said hey I'm sorry that I was mean to you when you didn't do your exercises. I said that you were lazy and worthless and that's not true. Everybody falters occasionally. What can I do to make it better? And she's like, cuddly blankets and binge watching Netflix? Okay. And she she gives herself that gesture of forgiveness. She apologizes to herself just like you would if you're you yell at your kid and you know you're in the wrong and you go to your kid and say, hey, I didn't mean to blow up on you. That was about me and not about what you did. I'm sorry. Let's watch a movie mm-hmm. and hang out to make up for it, you know, and I'll try to be better. Um, and like I mentioned on the last episode about like documenting when you have a negative, like when you have an unideal reaction to things, it kind of goes along with that same thing. Mm-hmm. The more you get in the habit of recognizing, oh, I talked badly to myself or I did something harmful to myself, whether it's speaking badly to yourself or actual self-harm of some kind or just self-destructive behaviors like binge drinking or overspending or overeating or whatever your particular vice is, acknowledging that you did that, that it was harmful to you and that you're sorry. And I think that's a, a very important step to take in just changing the way your brain works and changing those habits. So along with that point goes forgiving yourself and meaning it. I have this habit of calling one part of myself my lizard brain, and that's the one that kind of does all of the negative self-talk or the one that convinces myself that 
everything is going to be a catastrophe or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's just my lizard brain. But remember that you and your lizard brain are actually one person. So the part of you that is being mean to yourself and apologizing later and the part of you that is hurt over that are the same entity. So when you apologize to yourself, give yourself some grace and forgive yourself as well. Yeah, for sure. I do that a lot too, where I'm like, that's just my lizard brain or my inner child or my whatever. And it really, honestly, when you break it down, it feels like a way to have an excuse. Right, like you're not in control of right, that. Right, right, exactly. And it's like, yes, it kind of goes back to like those automatic thoughts and distortions. Yes, we have those, but that doesn't mean we can't change those. Right. We are also responsible for controlling those. Exactly. And if you are going to acknowledge that you have a lizard brain or an inner child or whatever that is acting a fool, you mm -hmm. also have to do the work to combat that. The next part of catching feelings for yourself is to get to know yourself, your fears, your dreams, your triggers, your values, your boundaries, your needs, your dislikes, your likes, your love language, etc., etc. If you're like me, you have been doing whatever it takes or what you think it takes to make everybody else happy that you've damn near forgotten who you are. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm still piecing out the best way to figure myself out and figure all of those aspects of myself out. But I think that one step I have to just put my foot down and start taking is to journal a little bit. That way when I am upset, I can use something like the core belief ladder or a stream of consciousness style thing to kind of figure out why is it that I'm upset? Is it a boundary that I need to establish? Is there a part of my attachment issue that's being triggered? And honestly, same for when I'm in a good mood. Like sometimes I have a good day and I just as much don't know why it's a good day as when I have a bad day and I don't really know what the root cause of that is. Yeah, and then maybe if you do that, you'll be able to answer me when I say, how was your week? So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we talked about journaling. I think we've talked about it in just about every episode so far, but that's one thing that I do a lot too is journaling. And I've never been somebody who kept a journal consistently, but going through like this healing process. I was just thinking about how we're both – we're probably traumatized by the fact that one time we kept a journal <laughs> and your mom lives. found it's it and gave it to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> because mm -hmm. like ultimately I don't think that traumatized me but ultimately that's my fear with keeping a journal is I, I think part of it is not wanting somebody else to find it and read these things that I consider my innermost secrets without my knowledge but also I don't like looking back on things that I thought oh, yeah. that were clearly mm -hmm. unhealthy or from a bad mindset and yeah. thinking yeah. what why was I thinking that? You know what I mean? Like, so I think I try to detach myself from that person who was sad or angry or whatever when I wrote whatever down. And then when I go back and read it, I feel ashamed of it. Yeah, I could see that too. I do that a lot where I go back and I read things and I'm like, ah, God, what was I going through? For me, at least, that helps me not do those same behaviors yeah. again later on. So if I realize like, hey, that was stupid, but then something else comes up six months later that brings up a similar situation and the potential for a similar response, right. I can look back and refer to what I had journaled and be like, all right, now that outcome was shitty. So I'm going to 
right not go for that again exactly. but i do think one thing that i struggled with at least when i was still married was consistently keeping a journal because there had been times where i had you know journaled and my ex had read it and i'm like okay (laughs) that's not like you're not supposed to do that and it wasn't necessarily some kind of boundary crossed here (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. but it wasn't necessarily negative stuff but it still felt like a violation and it kind of put me back at like that place where we were when we were 15 years old so I'm like not gonna do that but I think it's a lot easier now that I don't have a fear that anyone else is going to read it right what I'm saying is I can see your point there but I definitely recommend. Right. I think a lot of it for me comes down to just getting over the shame of having negative Mm -hmm. feelings. Like sometimes I'm going to be angry or I'm going to be emotionally destroyed over things. And going back and reading those, I don't have to feel shame in the fact that something upset me. Right. And I, or for the feelings that I had over it, I can look back at it and instead think, wow, three weeks ago I wrote this thing about how wrecked I was over this event and now it barely even matters to me and use that as a Mm -hmm. tool so that like you said like the next time something wrecks me and I'm super angry or I'm super sad over it I can say hey I've been this sad before and yeah yeah in a few weeks I'm gonna be okay (laughs) like it's not yeah for sure I was just telling somebody you know I was talking to a friend about this podcast and I had told them one of the really great things that I like about it and appreciate about it is that it kind of feels like a form of journaling. I think it's helping both of us get to know ourselves in a more intimate... In a deeper way. Yes, in a more intimate manner. So I think that's been really helpful, at least from my perspective. And it's also helped having people who say like, hey you are valid in your in your sadness at this event or this situation or or you're doing a great job with your healing so that's kind of cool but i think this podcast has definitely helped right. us learn who we are too and even like you said like the validation like even just having other people who say yeah i don't know what i like or dislike either right. like it feels really weird to, I don't know a better word to explain it, to not know what you like to do. Mm-hmm. Or I think, again, ADHD makes it a little bit harder than it might for a neurotypical person because my likes, the things that when people ask me what my hobbies are, I have a million of them. Mm-hmm. But some of them I haven't done in five years right. because I'm not hyper fixated on it right, right now. So, like, I love to embroider and... I would consider that a hobby of mine, but I genuinely can't tell you the last time I picked up a needle and thread Mm -hmm. and made something pretty with it. So it's really hard to figure out when you've been people pleasing your whole life and you have something like a hyperfixation issue, you know, where your boundaries are and what you're willing to put up with from people, what you deserve to put up with from people. Mm And, and what it is you really enjoy. I remember before David and I started having issues, I had said something along the lines of, you know, people always talk about how you can't pour from an empty mm-hmm. cup and you have to take care of yourself first. I don't know what fills my cup up. Like, people talk about taking time to do the things to recharge, etc. Mm-hmm. And napping doesn't do it for me. Like, that, I don't, sleep does not recharge me. Mm-hmm. 
eating does not recharge me. Like I do everything out of survival or to make other people happy, it seems like. And I don't know what gives me the energy to keep going outside of external validation from people. Like I'm good at my job. I'm not good at my job because I necessarily take personal pride in being good at my job even. I'm good at my job because I have a boss that I want to mm-hmm. satisfy. I want them to be happy with my work and I want my husband to be proud of what his wife is doing for a living right. and the fact that I bring in a good amount of money and that does not recharge me. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it does I, I don't do it for me. But it and it's the same thing with everything that I I do. If it's not making someone else happy, I don't find joy in it. So I feel like, I know you and I, we haven't talked about this um, on the podcast, I don't think, but um, you and I have both been, like, really big into meditation over the past several months. And I, I, one of the things that I love doing is yoga. And that's kind of what I've learned has recharged me. Do you feel like when you do meditation or something like that, you feel recharged? Or is that just kind of a way to settle yourself? Um, this is so serious. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely don't know. Like, meditation definitely has benefits for me. And I feel like... The techniques I learned while meditating, like deep breathing Mm -hmm. and feeling sensations in my body, they help me with things like communication and anxiety and like being present. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I, I fell off of meditation after like July. Yeah, me too. So I haven't, I haven't (laughs) done it in a while. I haven't done it in a while, but I don't know that I feel like recharged from it necessarily Mm -hmm. like I think so maybe I should try it again and find out (laughs) I think that there's certain ones that you can do that will help you feel recharged like I don't think every single meditation that I do recharges me yeah but I think there's certain ones that do like I did one recently which was actually it was the loving yourself series and I did that, and I feel like a lot of those I did feel recharged after because I was like, wow, I actually feel good about myself because, you know, I forced myself right. to, essentially, and, you know, put those thoughts in my mind. But then, like, the ones about if it's just calming, like, yourself from an anxiety attack or if you're meditating, doing, like, a body scan to go to sleep, that's not going to recharge me or fill my right. cup. That's just going to chill right. me out. So I just I was just curious how... You felt about that because that's one thing where I'm like, I could consider that a hobby. And I mean, I definitely consider yoga a hobby of mine and part of the stuff that I do to refill my cup. But meditation is one of those where it's like, is it? Like, yeah. You know, can you consider it that? Or I have a realization that, you know, what did make me feel good about meditating was that on the app I used they would give you awards for streaks uh-huh. <laughs> and I really liked that getting feels those like validation. it was validated <laughs> like literally when the you know what's sad is the reason I fell off of it was because there's a time change in California obviously from Indiana mm-hmm. so one day I think it was like the first day I was there, I did do my meditation, 
but it had counted two as in the same day and I missed my my mark and I was on like a 70 day streak <laughs> and, Aww, and I, I missed my my little award for the day and after that I was like fuck meditation <laughs> <laughs> it's all for validation everything I do I understand I understand <laughs> also I would like to point out that you're very competitive I'm very competitive. I love those awards. And we had made notes on this episode. And I had four pages and Britta had three. She said, you win this week. And I was like, do not make this a contest or this podcast will never end because we're just going to have an entire book. Like, I have 52 pages this week. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because I, I don't consider myself like when it comes to competitiveness, I'm not in areas where I know I can't succeed. Like, when I would play sports when I was a kid, like I was in softball, I never, never tried too hard, you know? Because I knew I wasn't good at softball. I have terrible Mm -hmm. hand-eye coordination. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm never going to be a great softball player. So even being a decent softball player, I was like, why bother? (laughs) Because I can't be great, so why be good? So I think maybe maybe there's something to accepting that half-assing things is sometimes right okay. Right. You don't have to be. You don't the best have to give it your whole ass. Do you things. don't have to give your whole ass every time. Right. Right. <laughs> so maybe that that would be something good for me to look at while I'm trying to figure out what I like, mm-hmm. what I what fills my cup is. I don't have to be great at something for it to fill my cup. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. Like, I like painting, for instance. That's something I know I enjoy doing. But a lot of times, I'm not great at it. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not technically great right. at painting. I don't, I don't know how it works. I'm still figuring everything out. So it doesn't help that I literally have modes, and I think this probably has to do with hyperfixation. Like, sometimes I can sit down with watercolors and a piece of paper and create a whole galaxies and space and put animals in there and create this really cool piece. And then the next day I'll be like, all right, I'm going to do another thing like that. And I can't even get two colors to mix correctly, like at all. And so I just give up, you know what I mean? So just accepting that not everything I paint or thing I embroider has to be something worth showing people Mm -hmm. (laughs) even just do it for the sake of doing it. (laughs) That's good enough. If you enjoy it, it's good to do. I think that's one thing that does kind of suck about ADHD with me is like, if it seems like this is pretty common in people with ADHD, if you're not automatically good at something, you're like, mm, all right, not, not going to do it. Right. Like I tried to learn guitar and right. I couldn't play right. Led Zeppelin right out of the gate. And now I'm giving up guitar. I remember, speaking of guitar, remember when I was like uh, probably 18, 19, I got a guitar for my birthday and I had learned several songs and was playing it and everything and I was over at um, a party, I think, actually I think it was at your parents' house with like some family members and stuff with my first husband and I was playing something and somebody made a comment about needing more practice and that was the last time I ever played guitar. (laughs) it's like all right not doing this ever again and I had gotten like I had practiced for a while and I wasn't perfect and I still I mean it wasn't wrong I mean it was an asshole thing for them to say but it wasn't like inaccurate yes I did need more practice but I'm like "Mm, no no more 
and ever again. Right. I, I also have a really big fear of not being as good as I think I'm going to be. Like, in school, I've always loved the idea of acting, mm-hmm. of being in plays or, you know, someday being in movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm, I'm decent at acting, especially for somebody with zero training or real experience in it. Like, I can read a script pretty damn good, right. you know? I was in one play in eighth grade. I played the Wicked Witch in The Way Out Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And I remember people were like, oh my God, you did so good. And I, I, I was maybe giving 50% because I was so afraid of giving 100% and not being well-received. Mm-hmm. But if I only gave 50% and wasn't well-received, then who cares? Right, I, right. It's because I was only giving 50%. And so like, I never pursued acting classes or tried to be in a play or anything to that effect because I was too scared to give it my all. Right, right. Yeah, I get that too. Because I was afraid somebody would say, you need more practice, Mm -hmm. and I would be like, well, that's that dream crush. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to the next aspect of catching feelings for yourself is to date that bad bitch. You're hot, you're smart, you're funny, you're lovable. Take yourself out. Show Mm -hmm. yourself a good time. Do nice things for yourself. You... Think of the things you want from a relationship. You want somebody to buy you flowers occasionally. You want somebody to take you on a nice date to, you know, tell you you're pretty and that you're smart and you're funny and give yourself the things that you want. And you can do that for yourself. You can listen to your problems. You can write your problems down. You can validate yourself. You can vent be your own relationship. Yep. I know um, one thing that I had done, like probably two months ago, I started it when I kind of started into therapy and like really trying. (laughs) I did 30 days of nice things for myself. And I had talked to Britta about it. And I was like, listen, I need you to hold me accountable and ask me like, hey, what's your nice thing? And there's been days where she'll send me something and she's like, what nice thing did you do for Cassie today? And I'm like, yeah, shit. All right, let me go do a nice thing. <laughs> but it's made a huge difference. Like you said, buying flowers. That was one thing that I, I love fresh flowers. I love fresh cut flowers, receiving them. And somebody had actually sent me some recently and I was talking about it and I'm like, yeah, I don't get them very often. And But I'm like, but even if I don't get them very often, I still buy myself flowers to put on my dining room table because I love myself. So that perks up my mood. So if I'm out shopping, grocery shopping, I'm going to pick up a bouquet because I love the way they look and I'm going to get it for myself. Exactly. Exactly. And did I have to put a reminder in my phone to ask Cassie what she did for herself? Yes, I did. Because I have accepted that part of myself. (laughs) But I do appreciate that reminder. As long as you didn't say, ask Cassie what nice things she did, you dumb bitch. Just say. I did not. I didn't. I didn't put that. Good. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) The last part that is really important about loving yourself is, you know, once you figure out what your boundaries are, the things, the, the lines that cannot be crossed, you have to respect those boundaries, which means enforcing them. That means when the person that you're interested in that you really, really like, and they seem like they're absolutely perfect for you, when they refuse to respect that boundary, you refuse to tolerate it. And that can be hard because just like rejection, you don't want to feel 
or I don't want to feel <laughs> like I'm being too needy or too demanding or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like enforcing those boundaries, whether it's I need you to buy me flowers occasionally and tell me I'm pretty <laughs> because I need that from a mm-hmm. relationship or, you know, right. something more serious like I need you to not touch me in certain ways or not say certain words that trigger a reaction in me. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day, we were talking about triggers and I said, it's not a serious trigger, but jokingly, a friend could call me almost any name in the book. Cassie could be like, oh my God, you're such a bitch or, oh my God, you're so stupid or, you know, whatever. Like, and, but it would would never never... phase me as long as I knew you were joking. If it's coming from someone I love, I'm, I'm going to assume they're joking. But my dad used to throw the word moron around a lot when I was a kid. And any name in the book you can call me. But if you call me a moron, my blood immediately boils. There is no stopping it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what it is. Same way when, when somebody, and I have no idea what this relates to, but if somebody splashes water on my face, I don't want to be sprayed with squirt guns. I don't want to be splashed in the pool and... That's that. It's a, it's a hard limit, okay? And I don't know why, but it pisses me off, and I don't like mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm at the beach with a guy and he insists on splashing me, or I don't like to get in cold water at all, so, you know, those guys that throw their girlfriends in the pool being funny, if a guy did that to me, I would probably cut ties forever. Like, I might burn his house down. I don't know. It would be bad. No guy's ever tried it because I get that look on my face like, if you fucking do it. But I, I, there are other boundaries that I have not quite figured out for myself that I should have that same respect for. You know, like, I know that if a guy threw me in a pool that I would probably never forgive him for it. But why am I so easy to forgive when it's, he doesn't want to hang out with my family on the holidays or he doesn't value spending time with me or whatever need it is that I have, then I can just, Mm -hmm. that's just me being needy. But for some reason, splashing water on my face is the end. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I struggle with is, I mean, I've struggled with boundaries and stuff too, but my big thing is communication because I'm very communicative and I feel like this kind of relates back to attachment styles where I typically like get involved with avoidant people who don't communicate well but in those situations I'm like just trying to force them to communicate with me instead of being like I'm not going to take it like I just try to talk 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 and get it out of them I guess instead of being like if you aren't going to communicate with me then I'm not going to be a part of this like you will not be a part of my life if we cannot have good open communication I just try to force it instead so that's one thing that I'm learning and trying to improve upon is just saying like hey I need you to actually tell me what the fuck is going on I need you to actually you know talk to me about communicate that you're having a bad day at work and not 
that you're mad at me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so things like that and saying this is something that is important to me. And I know maybe it's not important to you, but it is important to me. And holding that person accountable for it is is a big thing. Right. Because if you're important to them, then the things that are important mm-hmm. to you should also be important exactly. to them. And I'm not saying they have to place it on the exact same pedestal. They have to at least make an effort. Exactly. If you've expressed that it's important, then it should be something that's on their mind, you know? Right. And they're, they're, in some cases, allowed to have slip-ups, you know? like mm-hmm. Yeah, but- for sure. When you say, like, hey, you're in a bad mood, what's going on? And they know that you have expressed before that you internalize and personalize that bad mood and Mm -hmm. you need that to be communicated that it's not about you. And then they just say, no, I don't want to talk about it. Right. That's not an effort. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of times the effort is so minimal or so short-lived. And I'm like, well, they tried last Mm -hmm. week. So, but they did it once. <laughs> it has to be like a continual, continuous mm-hmm. effort. And right. yeah, like I can respect their boundary. Like you don't want to talk constantly. <laughs> That's right. fine. I will try to pull it back. But you, you don't want to go into great detail. Right. But you also have to communicate with me. Like we have to meet halfway. So I think your own boundaries are huge. Like, because I know everyone else's boundaries, but my own, I'm like, eh, those aren't important. (laughs) Right. And I think that every time you disrespect your own boundaries, you are sending yourself that signal. Just like when you talk negatively to yourself, you're sending that Mm -hmm. signal that you're not worth that effort. Like, not only to you, but to everybody around you. Like, when you've said, I need communication or I need whatever... And then you allow a relationship to continue without the thing that you've expressed or with something that you've expressed you cannot do, then you're saying, okay, she doesn't care about herself enough to stop this. So why should I care? Yeah, for sure. It goes back to those pros and cons that I was talking about earlier too. Like one of the cons, it lowers your standards for how people treat you. And you're going to think if you don't, If you don't have that same respect for yourself, then you're not going to expect others to have that same respect for you. Exactly. So that was all I had on catching feelings for yourself. And personally, I would love to hear from anybody who listens what you do to show yourself love or to teach yourself to love yourself. Because this is obviously something that I'm still working on and still trying to suss out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So any ideas that you have, you know, you can email us at selfsatisfiedpodcast at gmail.com or get a hold of us on Facebook or Instagram. That's all I have too. Do you want to do Listener Bright Spots? We have a couple this week. So Listener Bright Spots this week, Jessie Jezebel.Northman on Instagram said that she is leaving a two and a half year addiction, has moved to a better home for a fresh start and has been clean for five months now with the help of her mom, Alyssa and others who have supported them. Their lives are drastically different now and they're proud of where they're at. Sobriety is no joke when you have an mm-hmm. addiction. I I have never struggled with addiction personally and in the same sphere of like I have an addictive personality. I always told my told mm-hmm. everybody I'm a hedonist. Like I just do what feels good. But I've never been like addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs like I can like a chemical addiction right exactly I can put it down when I'm ready to so 
when it has that hold on you and to be able to break it is something to be insanely proud of. Yeah. And then to know that you have support of your loved ones is amazing. I've known Jessie for years and years and I'm, I'm really glad that she's in a better place now and, and is working on on her stuff that's amazing yeah i've watched people struggle with addiction you know loved ones my entire life so i know it's a hard struggle and it's a hard thing to overcome i also have that addictive personality but i've never i've always steered clear of everything because of or like steered clear of overdoing things just Mm -hmm. because i because i've had that fear of becoming that just because of how i grew up but it's it's hard to break. It is hard to overcome, and just watching people grow through that has been so impressive. So we're so happy for you, Jesse. Great job. You're you're killing it. So proud of you, girl. Amanda has one. Amanda says, I got to watch my husband compete in the Boston Marathon this week, which has been a dream for him since he started running. That's amazing. Like, great job. Just accomplishing your dreams. We also know Amanda and her husband, Ben, and they're wonderful. They're just really great at working towards their dreams. And I am so happy that you guys got to see that dream come to fruition yeah I literally cannot run to the end of my street without <laughs> wishing I were dead Me <laughs> and either. the fact that that's I'm sure that's where Ben started you know <laughs> is is really just forcing himself to do it and to think that he got so far as to be able to run in something like the Boston Marathon is absolutely amazing yeah so, so great, great job, job Ben congratulations mm-hmm. congratulations to both of you If you guys have any bright spots on Fridays, we'll make a post asking for bright spots, but feel free to send those to our email or message us on Instagram and Facebook throughout the week as well. We'd love to hear them. We'd love to gas you up. It's one of the bright spots of our weeks too. So please send those in. Absolutely. So that's it for this week. And next week, I believe we'll be discussing grief. Yeah, it's going to be a heavy one, but it's going to be a good one. Absolutely. So we are looking forward to that. And we will see you guys next week. Have a good week.